0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2, very familiar passage of scripture. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Normally, I go places and I tell them, if you don't know where Romans is, just go to the table of contents and it'll take you right there. However, you guys are in a church that you're so well taught, you beat me to Romans 12. So, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. The title of this message is Living to Die. Living to Die. And Father, we pray that you would speak into our hearts this word. And Lord, thank you for these men, Lord, that are here representing many homes, many families. Lord, and I just pray your blessings upon us as we sit at your feet and learn from you. Speaking to our hearts, of your word in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. So, Romans twelve, verses one and two: Living to die. What? What a paradox! To, because if you're living, you're not dying. If you're dying, you're not living. So, what does it mean to live to die? And I believe this is critical for us to grasp because in order for us to live the Christian life, we must understand what that concept is to live to die. And I believe Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 gives us some insights into how that is done. Oh, let's look look what it says there. We got some stuff to talk about today. Notice he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Great verses. Many of you have these verses memorized. They're very familiar but we're going to pick these two verses apart and, and grasp all the nuggets that God has for us in these verses. Notice, keep it in, uh, in your mind to live to die. Notice what Paul says. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Let's stop right there. He said, I beseech you. The Greek word is parakaleo, and it means to come alongside to help. It was used in classical Greek to describe when a commanding officer would would go and encourage his troops before they go out to battle. Oh, this is a very fitting word to use here because we're in the practical part of the book of Romans where Paul is about to encourage us to do something, to live out what he just finished telling us in verses 1 through 11. And chapters 1 through 11, should I say. Now he's going to tell us we need to be living these out. He's encouraging us. It's like a commanding officer coming to encourage the troops before they go out to battle. Oh, that's the verb form, the noun form, that became known as the Holy Spirit, you know, the one who comes alongside of us to help us. To help us do what? To encourage us to live the Christian life. And so this is what he is saying. He says, I beseech you, therefore. Oh, we got to talk about that word. The word therefore is a transitional conjunction that always takes us back to what was previously said. It takes us back not only to chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, but it takes us back to me. It takes us back all the way to chapter 1. Because you know how Paul does it. He will always tell us what God has done for us first before he tells us what we need to do for God. And he just finished uh, uh, laying out in incredible form in chapters 1 through 11 all that God has done for us. Now he is saying, now therefore. Therefore what, Paul? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he lets us know he's talking to believers. What he's about to say, unbelievers can't even do this. Don't even begin to even try to do this. So he's addressing brethren. He let us know that these are believers he's talking to. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, what, to do what, Paul? He's beseeching us by the mercies of God. Mercy, by way of definition, is not getting what you deserve. And I'm glad that he is urging them, he is beseeching them by the mercies of God. And, and, and this is very important here. Because mercy is not getting what you deserve. So he says, I'm not, I'm not laying some law trip on you. Or some legalistic trip on you. I want what I'm about to say. I'm urging you by the mercies of God. The sheer mercy. Not getting what you deserve. So what should motivate you to do what I'm about to say. It's because you have obtained mercy. Not getting what you deserve. And that's why it goes back to chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God was supposed to give you and give me as well to give us his wrath. We deserve hell. We deserve to pay for our sin. We deserve God's wrath because we are born into sin. So he says, I'm urging, I'm beseeching you by the sheer mercies of God. He said, that should be motivation enough that you have obtained mercy from God. So to do what, Paul? What are you urging us, beseeching us to do? To present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present is peristemi in the Greek language. It's an amazing word. It describes, it's used in the Septuagint. It, it describes the, the, the work that the priest would do in the tabernacle or temple to prepare the sacrifice to be offered to God. It, it talks about the work, peristemi. It talks about the work of the priest in the tabernacle or temple. I'm glad that he says, I, uh, he, I'm glad that he said, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present." Notice that he didn't use yield and he didn't use surrender. Oh, those are great biblical words, to yield and to surrender. Those are great words, but those words, they have a sense of reluctance. They have a sense of hesitancy. When you, you, when you yield something, you, you're yielding it and you may not want to. So he doesn't use that, but when you present something, it's willing, you're doing it of your own free will, No one is coercing you. No one is threatening you. It's something you're giving freely and willingly. But notice what he says. To present your bodies, a living sacrifice. I, I love that he said that. Why did he say present our bodies, a living sacrifice? Why didn't he say present our hands, our eyes, our ears? I'm going to tell you why he said present your bodies. Hold your place there and go to chapter 3 of Romans and I'm going to show you why he said present your bodies. Oh, well, chapter 3 is in in the context of this book. And I want you to notice something in chapter 3 just flip go to the left a few pages. Notice what he says there in chapter 3, starting with verse 10. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Here we go. Here we go. Look at verse 13. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The reason why he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, because our bodies, our entire bodies have been affected by sin. So he didn't say just present an eye or ear or a foot or a toe. Our entire bodies have been affected by sin. The poison of abs is under our lips. Our feet want to run to destruction. Our entire being has been presented and been affected by sin. This is why we need to present our bodies. Notice a living sacrifice. Oh, we know from the Old Testament that all the sacrifices were dead sacrifices. And for him to say, present your bodies a living sacrifice, that's where the presenting comes in. It's something that we willingly do. When I think of a living sacrifice, I go back to Isaac. Isaac and Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Oh, you know he really didn't mean sacrifice. God is not into human sacrifices. You understand that. But he wanted to, he, he told Abraham, you need to sacrifice Isaac in your heart because it's very well possible that Isaac had become an idol on the throne of Abraham's heart. Or oh, the long-awaited son that he was waiting 25 years for, the son of promise. And, and maybe, just maybe, Isaac had all of a sudden become uh, just God in Abraham's heart. And God said, hey, I want you to Offer your son, your only son. Only son. What about Ishmael? Oh, this is just a side note. It just shows that God doesn't recognize our work in the flesh. You understand that, don't you? And so he says, Isaac, I I, I got to do this, Isaac. Oh, we, we, we think of the little Sunday school. The little Sunday school picture of, you know, Isaac was about 8 to 10 years old and he getting up on that altar. No, Isaac was a, about 33 years old. Oh, he could have easily put his father in the headlock and said, "I'm not I'm getting up there." But he presented himself as a living sacrifice. But well, we know the ultimate living sacrifice is Jesus himself. The ultimate living sacrifice. So we are told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, what part of your body needs to be on the altar today? What about your eyes? Do you need to present them as a living sacrifice? The things you're seeing, the things that you know that are not appropriate. We, we as men, we're men here. We're stimulated by what we see. And so the enemy knows that. And so maybe it's your eyes you need to put on the altar. Maybe it's your ears is what you're listening to. Maybe it's what you're listening to. And you know what that is. There's things that you're listening to that need to be placed on the altar. Maybe it's your feet you need to place on the altar. Maybe it's taking you places that you know you shouldn't be going. What part of your body you need to present, which means willingly, as a living sacrifice? If any of you are like me, I need all of it to be on the altar. I need my entire body to be on the altar as a living sacrifice. Holy notice, he says, Holy and acceptable to God. That's the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God is the one that is holy. Hagias is the Greek word. It means to be set apart for God's use. Only a holy sacrifice is acceptable to God. And, and notice, notice what he says there. He continues. A living sacrifice, holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service oh we gotta we gotta take a few minutes with this one reasonable service reasonable logical or some some translations have spiritual it's your spiritual act of worship the greek word is lagakon or lagakas it's an amazing word it needs our attention uh, logikon is, is an amazing word. It means that which is reasonable or logical. That is of the mind, the, 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 the thinking of the mind. That's why it's translated in some translated uh, translations reasonable or logical. Because it, it speaks of that which comes from the logic. And it's an amazing word though and because... It goes to show that it's a tough word to translate because some even translate it as spiritual. And you may have a translation to have spiritual act of worship. Oh, there's room for that. Because Paul is contrasting the Old Testament sacrifices, uh, sacrifices with what goes on with us as, as a living sacrifice. So as they offered a, a, a physical sacrifice, we should be offering a spiritual sacrifice. And that's why it's translated spiritual act of worship in some translations. But here's a twist. That same word, lagakon or lagakos, is used in 1 Peter 2.2. And, or 2-1, should I say, it says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Pure milk of the word. Guess what? That's the word, logikos. Why is it that it is translated of the word? in 1 Peter two to 2, 1 and 2 oh, and not translated that way in Romans 12:1 and it's the same Greek word. You would think that if it if it was pure milk of the word it, the the Greek the Greek phrase would say to lagu, which means of the word. But it's lagakon. Why do they translate it there as of the word and in Romans 12 as reasonable logical because where does the pure spiritual, logical milk of the word comes from? comes from the word. And you can tell the root of lagakos is "Lagos, which is the word for the word. So that's why it is safe, and they were safe, and that's why they translated of the word in First Peter two, one and two, and not translated it that way. In Romans 12, because there is room for it to be of the word. But here's the thing. Where does our logic and reason come from? It comes from the word. How do you make decisions? How, How do you reason through thoughts and ideas? How do you make decisions in life and how to do this and do that for the family and and at church? And and how do you do, how do you reason through things? You have to be reasoning through things from the word of God. Oh, it's great how you grew up and, well, my dad did it this way. And, uh, oh, that's great. But the grid by which we must measure things is the word of God. That's why it's translated logical or reasonable, it speaks of the mind. Our logic, our reasoning should come from the word. People should ask, why are you doing what you're doing? And we should be able to say, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, this is that. And quote the verse of why we're doing what we're doing. So amazing word there, logakon. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And that's the conjunction that connects, meaning that verse one and verse two are connected beautifully together. And do not be conformed to this world. Oh, oh boy. Do not be conformed. The Greek word for conformity is "su schismatizo. It's where we get our English word schematic from. It means to stamp out as a pattern. For those of you who are in construction or electric, electricity, you, before you do work, you see the schematics. It's, the, it's a stamp out pattern of how the building is designed or how the house is designed. The, the, the tense that that Greek word is in is passive. Meaning that don't allow the world to do this to you. I think J.B. Phillips said it best. He said, "Do not let the in his paraphrase, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world will seek to squeeze you and I into its mold. It will seek to form us or conform us to its schematic." There's a schematic of the world, just like there's one of this building and one of your home. There's a schematic of this world that the world seeks to squeeze us into, to form us into a stamped out pattern. And don't allow the world, or, or it can be translated as stop allowing the world to, to squeeze you into its mold. And that's what it seeks to do. It seeks to squeeze us into its mold with its movies, with its music, uh, with its entertainment. All these subtle little things can squeeze us into its mold. And Paul is saying, stop allowing that to take place. Meaning that we, we can stop allowing it. We don't have to let it happen. Before we were in Christ, we, we couldn't help it. We just did it. We walked according to the schematic of this world. But he said, do not be conformed to this world. You know, the, the Greek word for world is eon. It's where we get ages from. It's not cosmos, which is a typical world uh, word for world. It's not cosmos. It's eon. It speaks of not the world as in the trees and the sky and the grass, but the world as in the world system. There is a system by which Satan is called the God of in 2 Corinthians uh, 4.4. He's called the God of this age. There's a system by which Satan has established. So the world, metaphorically, is that satanically organized system of beliefs that exalts everything that is ungodly and opposes everything that is godly. That's, that's the world system that he said, don't allow this world system to squeeze you into its schematic. Don't allow it to happen. Don't allow it to happen. And notice he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Oh, another great word. The Greek word is metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis from. That, that transformation that takes place. When a caterpillar is turned into a butterfly, that metamorphosis. Oh, the same Greek word is used in Matthew 17 when Jesus was on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was transfigured when his deity was shining forth through his humanity. The Greek word there is metamorpho. In 2 uh, Corinthians 3.18, with unveiled faces beholding in the mirror uh, as unto the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Metamorpho. Same word. So instead of allowing the, the world to squeeze us, conform us into his mold, he says, instead, allow yourself to be transformed. Instead of conformed, but transformed. And notice where he says this transformation takes place. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is Where it all takes place. The mind, for you military minded, the mind is the beachhead by which Satan lands to tempt us to sin. That's why we have to get this right, the mind. To show you how important the head is. Where is it that David hit Goliath with that rock? In the head. Because it doesn't matter how big he is. You get his head. Oh, that whole thing is coming down. Oh, we heard the old saying, you know, chop it off at the head. There's a reason for that. If Satan can get our, as we say in the Marine Corps, our brain housing group, if he can get up here, then he can control the rest of this. This is why the mind is the beachhead by which Satan lands to tempt us to sin. This is why the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Because if he can get up here and control our thinking, get us to think his thoughts instead of God's thoughts, oh, he can wreak some damage on us and on our families and those around us. So the way we renew our mind is by the word of God. The word of God is how we renew our minds. That's how we pre reprogram our minds is by the word of God. And this is, I can tell you whether you, like um, Philippians 2.5 says, whether you have the mind of Christ, I can just sit and talk to you, talk to you for a few minutes. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, the tongue goes down into the well of the heart and brings up what is there. And I can just talk to you for a few minutes, and I can tell you how much of the word you meditate on. It's just what it is. Oh, O. C. H. Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers. He said that we should know the word so much that when we, that we, they cut us, we sh, it should be bibbling that should come out. And, and, and it's amazing. Whenever I read Spurgeon's writings and stuff, it, it's, like I'm, it's like I'm reading Scripture. Because he quotes so much Scripture. And that's how we should know the Word of God. That's how we're going to reprogram our mind from, from all the sinful things we have inputted into the computer of our minds all the years before we were Christians. So we have to reprogram that thing. And the way we reprogram is by the word of God. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word prove there is dokamazo it's, it's an amazing Greek word. It's a word that means uh, to test a metal to see whether it is genuine or not. To see whether something, and not only metals, but to see whether something is genuine or not. It, it means to prove, to test and notice he says, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Now, many scholars debate on what that means. You, you have some uh, school of thoughts that says that uh, good is good, acceptable, and perfect, that they are adjectives. And then another group of scholars just say, no, that they are Nouns. So, depending upon, if you look at them as adjectives or nouns, would depend upon your interpretation of what he is talking about here in this verse. Say, so that you may prove. If if dakimasu means to test, to put to the test, to see whether something is genuine or not, then I, I, I think it is safe to say... That these, these words, good, acceptable, and perfect, they, they, can be in, they can be nouns, they can be adjectives, it doesn't matter. But that you may put to the test the things that are coming in your life and you put them to the test and say, is this good according to God's word? Will the Lord accept me doing this or saying this or doing this with them? If I do this thing, will I be in God's perfect will? if I do these things and this is what we have to ask ourselves if I'm if I watch this on the computer or my cell phone would this put me in line with God's perfect will is this good like Philippians 4 8 says what, what whatsoever those things are good and perfect and all that sort of is it good according to God not according to our eyes is it good according to God? And will God accept me participating in this sort of thing? And this is what you have to ask yourself. Would these things, would this person, me dating them, seeing them do this, would this put me in line with God's good and acceptable and perfect will? If you're like, no way, then we, can, we can't do it. We can't do it. See, this is why the whole concept of of living to die, we're told to present our bodies as living sacrifices. So just in those two words, living, sacrifice, is the concept of living and dying. A living sacrifice, we're living, but though we call it to sacrifice, that's the dying part. In order for you to know what God's good and, uh, and perfect and acceptable will is, you got to first present your bodies a living sacrifice. You got to be renewed in your mind. You got to be transformed and not conformed. And if you're doing those things, you will always know what God's will is for your life. And by you being men, you're over families. And you can know what God's will is for your family by presenting yourself a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical service. It's the logical thing to do based upon all that God has already done for you in, ver- in chapters 1 through 11. It's the most logical thing for you to do, to do, to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. And then if, you, if we're doing this, because I'm including myself, if we're doing this, you will understand what it means to live to die. And you will understand what God's good and perfect and acceptable will is for your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tony Clark. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Tony's teaching ministry by visiting calvarynn.org.